Thanks, everyone, for being here. I always hate interrupting the uh, conversations taking place in the room, um, but I encourage us to continue um, as we finish up today. Uh, excited to be back today. Uh, as, as Sarah mentioned, last week we were away. Um, for, the, for the past two years, I have been uh, working on a master's program, a master's in missional leadership. And so like any seminary or master's of divinity degree, uh, it, it involves the Bible, the theology, the church history and all that. But the program that, that we chose was a little bit different a little bit unique in that it works on the um, leadership aspects of uh, missional settings. That is, rather than church maintenance, what does it mean to partner with God in his mission in our communities? What does it mean to bring about positive change and lead well in a church that's discerning the voice of God and, and engaging its community well? It was an incredible experience, but for the past two years, uh, we've been trying desperately. I, I would say I, but it's Sarah and myself. She's played such a huge role in it, uh, to raise children, um, to, to lead and plant in a new church, and to try to find some semblance of balance in life. Um, and it has been quite an adventure and challenge. So for the time that I've known most of the people in this room, uh, we've been trying to walk that balance. And I'll tell you, it feels as though the skies have opened up and, uh, you know, the, the, the sun is shining. Quite literally today, it's shining. But I can breathe again. I am so excited for a new season and new opportunities and new ways to engage in our community in our church. Um, so it is a beautiful thing. This last weekend uh, at graduation, it, it was a little college outside of Detroit. And um, the response that we got both before and after this trip when we'd tell people we were in Detroit, uh, every time we'd say, yeah, we're go going to Detroit for graduation, and people would say, oh, right? And they'd kind of shrink back, oh, Detroit, really, right? Um, Detroit has a reputation, there's no doubt about it. And it has a reputation for a lot of really good reasons, and yet Detroit is also an incredible story of what God can do in a community, an incredible story of arts and, uh, and culture that are developing in incredible ways. So I have a couple pictures of Detroit uh, just from our trip there. Um, uh, large portions of uh, downtown Detroit and, and the area nearby um, ha had just have just been abandoned. Right there's vacant lots, there's houses condemned and torn down by the city uh, because Detroit experienced over the last 50, 60 years um, a mass exodus. Um, sometimes uh, it's called white flight, where um, a lot of the prosperity and money and opportunity moves to the suburbs. And Detroit is laid out from a center point by miles. And so as you drive out towards the college that that uh, I was a part of. Um, uh, some 15 miles outside of Detroit, you, you drive past these huge signs and exits that say six mile and seven mile and eight mile. And what happened in Detroit is um, uh, the city vacated outside the eight mile mark and it left uh, incredible poverty um, and it left a, a lot of people, many of them um, uh, minorities, Afri African American populations, uh, stranded in a, in a community that had been abandoned. Uh, struggling to survive. And so you see a house here um, with that. Um, there's an urban artist. Go ahead and roll forward. Um, there's an urban artist and activist uh, there who's uh, begun these uh, these projects to try to raise awareness to uh, some of the injustice and problems in Detroit right now. And, and uh, you'll see clocks all over. This is like a three or four square block area. And it looks like, uh, it looks like a dump. It looks like, you know, just, um, uh, someplace that people are dumping stuff. But 
all of it has meaning. Uh, this particular, all the clocks, they say, it, he says it's always time to act. And at first, uh, go ahead and roll to the next one. At first, the city uh, fought this and started trying to clean all this up. But in time, the city's kind of come to embrace it. And it's a statement about who we are and, and what must change. There's shoes everywhere. And uh, the shoes represent, uh, do not judge a person until you have walked in their shoes, right? The inequality and diversity and struggles um, that have happened in Detroit. And, and he says, stop judging people and assuming you know you haven't yet walked in their shoes, right? Um, and uh, go ahead and roll forward. Um, outside of the city is um, the uh, the Ford Museum, or, or near near there in, in Dearborn. Um, uh, the Ford Museum is massive. And we, we spent a whole day there checking things out. This is the actual park uh, bus that Rosa Parks uh, sat on and, and and stood up for her rights. And he's brought this and so many other historic things into this museum that people can come and see and experience. And we sat on this bus and we listened to the audio of her telling her story and, and her experience of that day. And it, it was a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, because Detroit and, and, and really our nation, this obviously a story uh, from Alabama, um, has experienced such challenges, right? Um, and uh, we'll scroll forward one more. I have one more picture for you. Um, and yet glimpses of hope. Detroit is very proud of, of this. It's called the uh, the Gateway to Freedom. And Detroit played a, a really important role in the Underground Railroad uh, when 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 slavery was still um, uh, had still taken hold in in our nation. Um, Detroit played a really important role in the churches of Detroit in uh, helping to free slaves. And and so this is right on the water. Um, and one mile across the water is Canada. And Detroit played a really pivotal role. You can see people there pointing across to freedom, you know, where we'll, we'll finally find freedom again. And so Detroit has a lot uh, in its history, uh, a lot of struggle, um, but a lot of beautiful and incredible things. And, uh, and today, as we read through Acts chapter 15, um, we're going we're gonna to ask some hard questions about equality. We're going to ask some hard questions uh, about the, the way equality has played out in our nation, uh, in the church, and, and some of the struggles that we still face today uh, on the subject of equality and acceptance and diversity. So um, on, that, on that note, we've got to pray, and then, and then we're going to engage our text. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day and this time. Father, we ask that you will um, speak to us this morning, that Father, through your word, we can hear your voice. Uh, Father, we pray that you will open our eyes and our ears, uh, soften our hearts, that we can um, know the way uh, that, that you uh, invite us to participate in uh, equality, diversity, and, and just the beautiful work that you are doing in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We've been studying through the book of Acts, and um, the book of Acts tells the story of the beginning of, of the church. So um, this man, Jesus, had died on a cross, um, but rose again, and hundreds of people witnessed a risen Savior. And a movement began, uh, the, the, this Christian movement, but it began in Jerusalem, and it began um, as a sect of Judaism. A, a, a part of Jewish people came to believe in this man, Jesus, as their Savior, as their hope. And so um, Christianity began, remember, as a, a movement amongst the Israelite people. And it began to spread outside of the, the city of Jerusalem uh, throughout Israel. And uh, so far in the book of Acts, now we're, we're about halfway through the book, and uh, we've seen two stories 
of people outside of Israel coming to believe in Jesus. We saw Philip and um, an Ethiopian man. Uh, and the Ethiopian man, once he heard the story of Jesus and like the fulfillment of this, this, uh, this story of a God at work in the world, he said, who's to stop me from being baptized? And so Philip says, let's do it. And this Ethiopian man is baptized there on the spot. We witnessed um, a, a few weeks ago um, Peter uh, receives a vision from God, and he goes to um, uh, Cornelius's house, um, uh, a centurion, a, a, a high-up official in the Roman army. And um, God has told Peter, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And, and on that day, the centurion man comes to believe, and he and his household are baptized on that day. So we've got glimpses of this story of Christianity spreading beyond uh, the um, the Israelite people. But today is the pivotal moment where the church will be challenged with the question of what do we do with these outsiders who are now amongst us, okay? So Acts chapter 15, verse 1, pivotal turning point in the book of Acts. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversation of the Gen- they reported the conversation of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so here's the question in the church, and by the way, what might seem kind of trivial to us is a major question in, in the first century church. Um, you see, the, the, the Israelite people were isolated from the outside world, right? They were to be a people um, uh, isolated. Um, God was to work through them and reveal to the world his glory and power, which happened through Jesus and the 12 apostles, and now we are the result of all that, right? Christianity spread throughout the world. But the Israelites were a nation apart. And, um, and so the question at hand here is, what do we do with these Gentile people? Uh, naturally, the, the first response is, well, they need to be like us if they're going to be one of us, right? This is that lack of diversity that, to be honest, I think is just an errant among humanity, right? Uh, we, we, we strive uh, so often for sameness. We so often exclude or oppress what is different, right? And so the Israelite people are, are asking this question, well, if they come to believe in Jesus, what do they have to do? And so one of the pivotal laws and, and practices of the Israelite people was circumcision. So it was natural for the church to, to begin by saying, well, they're going to have to be circumcised, and then they're going to have to follow the law of Moses if they want to be a part of this Christian community. But the question is, where does um, equality and, and where does opportunity, um, freedom found in Jesus, speak into this process? And so they're left with that, that question. What has changed under Jesus' reign? We have a new king, 
Uh, we're not under the Davidic or the Mosaic law. Instead, we have a new king in Jesus. And what is changing in this moment, in this story that we're reading in Acts chapter 15? Okay, I want to take a little bit of a, a sidestep, and I want to look at, at a parallel story just in American history. As we consider this question of how do we integrate what is um, equality and what does justice look like amongst us? So in 1776, um, the Declaration of Independence uh, is penned. And it, and it said this in the Declaration of Independence. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, now here's the ironic and tragic piece to everything. Everything's so good there, right? We would agree with everything on that. Do we have it up there? Do we have that on the slide? Yeah. We would agree with everything that we see there. Um, and the tragic piece is that while that was pinned, there were over 500,000 African-American slaves in America. Where's, where's the equality in, in that? That one-fifth of the American population was enslaved as these words are penned. How ironic and how tragic is that? And, and see, here's the thing. Our, the men writing this, they knew that equality was to be strove for. They knew that it was right. But so much about the systems and the structures and the traditions in which we live uh, prevent us from living out the equality that we believe in. You see, there's a difference in the head knowledge and the actual living out of a principle, right? And, and so uh, here's what some of our forefathers said about slavery. Uh, Jefferson uh, called it a hideous blot on America. Uh, George Washington, um, who owned hundreds of slaves, he denounced it as repugnant. Um, James Madison, a Virginia slave owner, he condemned it as evil. So while so many of them recognized the wrong in it, it was a societal norm that was very difficult to buck. And, and so they would speak against it, but then practice it in their own lives. Okay, um, so, so here, here's the question. When does equality, uh, when, when, does, um, when does justice become a way of life rather than just an ideal? And I think it's the same question that we're asking in Acts 15, right? Uh, how do we interact together in ways that, that, that bring about the equality, that elevate in the way that Jesus elevated, that, that, that live out the freedom that's found in Jesus. Um, so, so that was some, uh, let's see, in 1776, the Declaration of Independence. It wasn't, um, and then in 1857, you've heard of the Dred Scott decision, um, where an African-American man uh, sued for his freedom and for that of his, uh, his wife and two daughters. And he sued unsuccessfully. Uh, he was not granted his freedom as he sued for it. It wasn't until 1863 that the Emancipation Proclamation came to be. So some 100 years where our nation knew it was wrong, um, uh, spoke against it, but continued to practice it, demanded the freedoms from uh, other nations, but did not grant the same freedoms to the people in our households. 
And I wish the story ended at 1863, like everything was good and people were tre treated equally. But a few minutes ago, we saw the Rosa, um, Rosa Parks bus that 100 years later, uh, she, <laughs> she had to stand her ground to say, I, I have the right to sit in the seat. Right? A hundred years later, uh, still fighting these battles and struggling through those things. You see, equality, uh, justice, is difficult in the systems in which we live. Okay, so uh, we're going to jump back over to our, to our text in Acts. And we're going we're gonna to listen to the conclusion that they come to. And then we're going to consider how they, they practiced it, how they played it out. And then look again at our lives, our nation, and our community, and ask how do we practice a similar thing. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 6. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now therefore, why uh, are you putting, putting God to the test by placing on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. The whole assembly kept, silent, kept, kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. All right, so here it is. The question on the line, what do we do with these foreigners amongst us? Right, that's, what, that's what the Israelite people are having to ask. What do we do with these other people that are amongst us? And Peter stands up and he says, the Spirit is at work in their lives um, and, and God is doing powerful things. He says, their hope is exactly the same as ours. It is grace found in Jesus Christ. I thought it was fascinating in verse 10 how he acknowledges their own frailty and weakness. I would say one principle that we consider as a people when we are striving towards equality and diversity and, and justice is that we ought to realize our own complacency, uh, our own participation, and our own weakness in, in these systems. And, and so he says, you're placing on these Gentile people a yoke, a burden, a, a, a burden that, that neither us or our ancestors were able to live up to. None of us practice the law properly. Why would you impose it then upon another people? He says, no. In verse 9, um, God is cleansing their hearts by faith, and he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Um, if you've been a, a part of a church for a while, if you've grown up going to church, often we view the world in terms of us versus them as though we are the proprietors or the uh, bringers of faith or the church. Here's the really ironic thing about the text we're reading. You realize that we are the Gentiles. The question is if you and I are allowed into this faith community. 
the question is not about the people around us. Oh, man, you know, do we, do we let them in? The question at hand in Acts 15 is, can you and I be a part of this Christian movement outside of the laws of the Jewish faith? And the answer that Peter and, and, and this gathering comes to is yes. It is by the grace of Jesus that you and I are invited in. I am that outsider that they declared, Micah, you can join. You can be a part of this. Right? Sandy, Tommy, was baptized a few weeks ago. It's like, all of us, the answer was yes. You are invited to be a part. We are the outsiders that have been brought in. And so the question is, if God makes no distinction, how does it invite us to live as a, as a people? Uh, as, a, as, a, as a faith community, how does it invite us to live outside of these walls and in our community? If God sees no distinction, see, here's a beautiful thing. I see smiles on faces, and I get excited when I think about this, but right now we are in the cognizant mode. We're sitting in a comfortable environment, considering the fact that, yes, equality is the way, considering the fact that, yes, God has been gracious in our lives. But just like our forefathers in the story of American history, Will it take hundreds of years for it to take root in an actual practice, in an actual way of living? Right? What do we do about an invitation to, to diversity? What do we do about an invitation to know God's love and goodness right here and now where we are? We are the outsiders that have been invited in. Okay, one more piece of the text, and then we're gonna we're gonna finish on, on where do we go with this. Um, in Acts chapter 15, if you were to read on in the story, um, Peter's going to send out this letter um, and, or send out this message uh, amongst all the areas saying they are invited in. The Gentiles are invited to join as Gentiles, okay? And this is how the church came to this conclusion. Um, he says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. Think about that statement for a second. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. In the most pivotal decision to be made in, in church history, this is their conclusion. It, it's not that we mapped out the pros and cons. It's not that we had our biggest and best minds come together. No. They said, here's where we see the Holy Spirit at work. And this seems right. This seems the work of God. And I think this is a beautiful thing to consider. Like, what, what does a church look like that operates, yes, we, we build good teams and we have good leadership structures, but that invites the Holy Spirit to guide us into uncomfortable places where decisions are made for the sake of others and not ourselves? That's the story of Acts 15, right? That's the story of saying we're not comfortable with it, we don't like it, but this is where the Spirit is at work, and he is inviting us into new, challenging, and beautiful works of God in and around us. I like a church that operates like that. Okay, so equality. A, a while ago we read the Declaration of Independence, right? Uh, truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They did have to use the word men there, didn't they? Here's what the gospel says to it. Go to Galatians 3. Um, Galatians 3 says this, um, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. 
There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. For all are one. Uh, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This is my favorite favorite passage probably. You've probably heard me say that before about other passages, so I'm a little bit fickle. But this is my favorite passage um, because it speaks to um, it speaks to that equality. It speaks to an invitation to a place in which Christ comes first, and then there's all of us. And I love that. So as a church, you know, um, if, if you've come to Vine 101, that's where we kind of explain a little bit more about the church, orient people to, um, to who we are. I hope you'll join us this next month. We'll get a slide up by next week uh, inviting you to that. But um, we talk about some of the beliefs of the church. And born of Galatians 3, we operate as an egalitarian church. And egalitarian simply means um, uh, all are equal. Uh, it, it means equality. And societally, we would say, of course, everyone is equal, man or woman and all that. In the church, that has proven to be difficult. This is one of those stories where um, the knowledge of Galatians 3 existed, but the experience and the practice of it lagged far behind the knowledge of it. And so we see even in the first century church and in the Bible, um, restrictions placed upon women. And, and though it was very freeing and liberal amongst its community, um, still restrictions had, had to be put in place for societal standards. And so today, we ask this question of what does it look like to live in a community in which there's no Jew or Greek? The Gentiles will be accepted in as Gentiles. There's no slave or free. We will choose freedom, right? We will not, make, uh, we will not distinguish and, and create those barriers. There's no male or female, but we're all invited by the grace of God to know his goodness, and to participate in his work in the world around us. That's what we dream of. And that is the story of Acts 15. The day the church made a major shift and said, this is for all people. And so today, I just want to invite us, I just want to inspire us uh, in each of our hearts that we could walk away saying, this is for all people. Like, just imagine how it changes our interactions with the jerk that cuts us off in traffic, with that person at work that we always struggle to talk with, with, with a friend that's hurt us and a relationship has been severed, with the homeless person on the side of the street. Just, to, just imagine how this speaks into some of the, the, the racial tensions that still exist today. I am so proud of this church. It, as small as we are, um, since the... Um, uh, uh, refugee ban came into effect. Since that time, two of our families, both of them sitting here today, have adopted uh, through World Re Relief uh, refugee families that they are helping to acclimate here in our community. I'm so proud of those sorts of things that say, even when the systems and structures stand in the way of, of, of liberty and freedom and opportunity in the lives of those that are marginalized, we have people who are adopting, ad adopting children. We have people that are helping refugees that have lived in refugee camps and starved for years to find new hope and new life. We have people uh, taking in um, fostering children, right? Like these are the things, these are the things that we're invited to be a part of because God does not distinguish between race. He does not distinguish between socioeconomic status, 
in this place, uh, you know, our, our worth is not determined by our annual household income or the size of check we can write. No. We don't distinguish in these ways. It's not the color of our skin. It's not the community that we live in, but instead it is determined by one sole fact. Jesus died for us, and we are invited. So friends, I want to I invite us to this in the week to come. I want to invite us to look at the world through that lens. That, that the people that we see, the people we experience, we realize these are the people that Jesus died for. These are the people that this good movement is for. These are the people invited to know God's love. And with that invitation, let's see if we can live out a little bit of God's love in our lives in the week to come. Let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for the day, and we thank you for your time to come together. We thank you for the the story that we read of a radical shift in the church a couple thousand years ago. And Father, I pray that in this moment you begin stirring in us a radical shift in our outlook and in our lives and in our little congregation, but in the faith community of the Tri-Cities, Father, that diversity be a celebrated thing um, and that injustice and inequality no longer uh, take, take hold in, in our lives and our structures and the way um, we operate in our community. Father, reveal to us the places in which we are a part of the problem Father, that we, can, that we can come in line with you, participate with you in, in your good work in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.